I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. Chapter 11 the Tel Aviv traffic was horrible. Nuria and I had left the laboratory and made our way down to the lobby exit where Nuria had helped me flag a cab. After she leaned in and spoke to the driver, she turned to me and said, His English is rather good. You'll be fine. Call me. And turned to walk away. Thanks! I shouted as I was getting into the taxi. I gave the driver the address and spent the time in the car trying to learn some basic Hebrew with him. Rafe was great. He was the perfect host, probably because he was trying to earn a bigger tip, but I didn't mind. I was trying not to get nervous, but I was alone again, in a city I didn't know, in a country I didn't live in, without a passport, and people had been trying to kill me since last night. Talking with Rafe was helping. Okay, how do I say thank you very much in Hebrew, I asked. He gave me the Hebrew words back slowly, Toda Raba, and your welcome sounds like Elodavar. Simple phrases were given like this over the coast over the next hour as we slowly made our way across town in the bumper-to-bumper -bumper rush hour traffic. Here's something you'll probably need, Rafe said. Taken bevakasha et hatu yuyot sheli bibrit. It means Please correct my Hebrew mistakes, he said, laughing like it was the funniest thing he had ever heard. Okay, okay, here's one you will really use. Ata medaber anglit? It means, do you speak English? He was right. That was something I needed to remember. Ata medaber anglit. I said it in what sounded like slow motion. How was that? Not bad, buddy, not bad, Rafe said. Hey, we'll be at this address in a couple of minutes. It's just down this next street on the left. I had that negative nudge again. Trust it. Rafe, do you mind letting me out here? I'll walk the last little bit, stretch my legs some before I see my friend. Kin, Rafe said, which I now knew meant yes in Hebrew. Toda Rabba, I said, thanking him in my newfound tongue, adding, 
Kamezo ole? Which meant, how much does it cost? He laughed and said, you are welcome. You picked this stuff up pretty quickly. That will be 105.42 shekels. It was turning early evening as I pulled out one of Jessica's credit cards and handed it to him. He inserted it into the machine and there was a delightful little beeping noise as it was accepted. He handed me a receipt with a place to mark a tip, something my first driver hadn't done and I wrote 100 shekels on the line. I didn't know how much it was, but I would repay Jessica once she was safely home. Torah Rabah, Rafe said, almost yelling when he saw the amount. I guess that was more than he was expecting. I hope Jessica isn't reaching her credit limit. Rafe drove off, and I was left standing on the sidewalk, alone. My senses became heightened as I suddenly realized the enormity of what I was about to ask Dr. Kaplan and the position I was going to be putting him in. I walked to the end of the block as the sun was beginning to hide behind the tops of houses, casting long shadows in my direction. A guy riding a motorcycle was making his way down the cross street ahead of me. This was a residential neighborhood in what looked like a very nice part of town. Most of the automobiles parked in driveways and on the curbs of the tree-lined roads were luxury vehicles, Lexus, Mercedes, Tesla, Range Rover, and the like. Dr. Kaplan's got it going on. There must be some serious money in the science business. Or does that mean he's been taking some money on the side somehow? My view of the street was partially obstructed because of the trees on either side of the road. I knew that I should turn left at this cross street because Rafe had told me, but I didn't know exactly how far down or which side of the street the house was on. I pulled out the piece of paper that had Dr. Kaplan's address on it and found his house number, 316, an even number, indicating his house would be on the left side of the street where I now stood. The first house I came to had the number 338 on the door, so I knew I needed to walk further down. I continued down the street, my view still obstructed by trees, until I made it to 316. The guy on the motorcycle had turned around and was heading back down the street in my direction. Kaplan's house was a beautiful, modest home, but it was completely dark. No lights turned on outside or inside. Frustrated at my search's apparent lack of progress, I marched up to the front door when some motion caught my attention. The front door was framed by two ornate glass windows. Inside I could see some motion shadows moving behind the glass. It struck me as odd because it was obvious that whoever was there hadn't turned on the lights. It was like they were trying to stay hidden. I went to ring the doorbell when from behind me I heard a whispered, Hey, Mad Mad! Startled, I turned to look but didn't see anyone. Psst! Over here! Directly down the sidewalk's path from the front door I could see the street. There were two cars parked and a tree that looked to be directly between them. I knew it was just the angle I was viewing it from, that the cars were on the street and the tree was in between them, but on the side of the road. It created a little pocket with perfect cover on three sides for someone who was spying on the house, trying to stay hidden. Psst! Mad Mad! Don't ring the doorbell! It was Aaron, tucked away in the pocket. 
I had walked right past him and never saw him in hiding. I had been so close we could almost have touched. Just walk away, slowly, quietly. I started making my way back toward Aaron when the motorcycle guy came tooling back down the street. He wasn't driving extremely fast or extremely slowly. He was just riding up and down the road. He must have just bought that thing or he's trying to practice his riding. As I got close to Aaron, he said, Don't look in my direction. Just keep walking. Turn right at the next block and wait for me there. I was happy to see him, unsure of how he found me or what was going on. I followed his directions, walking to the next block and turning right. I found a small ledge of a retaining wall to sit on, partially hidden from passing traffic. I sat there for around 15 minutes waiting on Aaron while I watched the motorcycle guy ride up and down the street every few minutes. Finally, Aaron showed up and we moved to a more concealed hiding place. He said, I must have been watching that house for over an hour. Nothing has happened. It looks deserted, but something just doesn't feel right. That guy on the motorcycle has been riding up and down the street the whole time I've been here. Up, down, up, down, up, down, trying to look inconspicuous. I thought he was going to see you, but somehow you managed to walk up to the door at the perfect time so that you were shielded by trees at each angle when he might have been able to catch a glimpse of you. Then I thought he was going to see me as I raced from my hiding spot to try and stop you from ringing the doorbell. I think we narrowly avoided disaster. I think the mercenaries are here, somewhere. Did you see anything when you were up close to the house? How did they find us? How did they know to come here? I asked, incredulous. I sat there a moment, stunned, then remembered Nuria's voicemail. Can they tap somebody's telephone lines? Aaron nodded and said, yes, and they probably have had Kaplan's lines tapped for some time. Why? I went to the lab where Jessica works, and her assistant, Nuria, was there, and she recognized me. We talked for a while before she gave me Dr. Kaplan's address, and then we called him to let him know I was on my way. We left him a voicemail. We might as well have just said, hey, bad guys, go set me a trap. I'm on the way to walk right into it. It's a good thing I showed up when I did, Aaron said with a glint in his eye. So, you made it all the way to the lab by yourself. And you actually spoke with your friend's assistant. I'm impressed. Did you learn anything valuable? He seemed slightly taken aback with what I had done. Negative nudge. I tried to gloss over the details and not reveal too much information. I said, not really. It seems as if Nuria thinks of Jessica like some kind of rock star. There might be a little hero worship going on. She gave me some of the basics of the scientific research that they do at the lab, but she didn't seem to know anything valuable other than Kaplan's address. I said, hoping it would suffice. I made no mention of Project Genesis or the Genesis machine. Shifting his attention, Aaron asked, Did you see anything unusual when you got close to the house? Now that you mention it, beside the front door are two ornate glass panels. I couldn't see through them, and I'm sure you can't see through them from the inside either, but I sensed movement, 
like a shadow moving behind the glass, or, or maybe I heard a slight scuff or something. I don't know how to say it other than I sensed movement inside. Aaron said, we need to get out of here. It's too dangerous to be here right now. They've obviously got Kaplan, and they've probably got the research as well. Aaron turned to leave. No, they don't, I said. They've either got Kaplan or the research, or neither, but not both, and there's something else. Aaron turned back to look at me. I continued, have you considered that Dr. Kaplan might actually be in on this? Aaron just sat there, looking at me with a conflicted expression on his face, his mind racing, contemplating repercussions. I continued, so we have several scenarios, but let's just take Kaplan's involvement out of the equation for a minute. If those are the mercenaries in there, they either have Kaplan and they're searching for the research, or they don't have Kaplan and they're waiting on him. There's no reason for them to be waiting for me if they have Kaplan and the research. And to be honest, we don't know who's in there. It could be Kaplan trying to be stealthy, hiding from the mercenaries himself. What we need to do is call for backup. Get some more of your Mossad buddies here. Surround the place. Finish this up once and for all. Aaron slumped subconsciously and said, That's some pretty sound logic, Matt, but we've got a problem. After the screw-up at the airport today, I have been suspended, pending an inquisition and review board hearing. I'm just here on my own, trying to see this thing through. It's what my father would do. He saw things through to the end. I can't call back up, especially if we don't know who is in the house. I've got an idea. Let me see your phone. Aaron was hesitant to give up his phone, but I said, trust me, you'll like this. I'm starting to get the hang of this spy thing you got going on. Aaron reluctantly gave me his phone. I opened the web browser app and after a few clicks found what I was looking for. I clicked the link and his phone app opened with the number already dialed for me. I pressed the green call button, stepped a few feet away from Aaron and began a conversation. Ata medaber anglit. I tried my Hebrew again, then followed quickly, pleadingly with, please say you speak English. I couldn't explain what I wanted in Hebrew. For this to work, it was important they speak English. End of chapter 11. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase 5 Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released. And if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.